you like the show and you want to help support us, do you want us to stay ad-free? Do you want extra episodes every month? Well, of course you do. Well, then head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. Become a Patreon supporter of this very show. My name is Derek Diamond. And this is the Nerd Cave Retro Show. And yes, we are continuing with Halloween Horror Month. And uh, so, Derek, please tell me what you have done this week. Well, it's been a pretty eventful week, actually. I'm sure most of you know, but uh, on Friday, I went up to... Um, actually, Thursday night, I went up to Dothan, Alabama to cover Fanaticon. And Friday morning, I got to interview arguably the greatest professional wrestling commentator of all time, Mr. Jim Ross. Yes. And it was awesome. He made it extremely easy. Uh, I was very talkative. I think I asked maybe four or five questions during the entire interview, which as a host, you can't really ask for much more than that because the conversation is just much more natural that way. Yeah. But the funny thing is, is that I wasn't as nervous as I thought I would be. Like, I had a little bit of anxiety whenever I got there. So what I had to do was I had to go to the Dothan Civic Center, and there they have a boardroom. And I was told to go there, and then, you know, he would meet me there. So I'm thinking, like, I'm walking around, and it's a fairly decent-sized room. I'm thinking, well, I guess this is where we're going to do the interview. So I start setting everything up. And I wait for another five minutes or so. I'm just looking at the photos that are in the room just to pass the time. And then I hear his voice and I'm like, oh boy, this is about to happen. <laughs> the, funny, the funny thing is I texted this to you after the interview. You know, I introduced myself and he was like, is Derek Diamond your real name? And I said, yeah. And he's like, oh, that's awesome. You don't have to worry about the intellectual properties of it. And I said, yeah, it's... A lot of people think it's a stage name. And he said, yeah, it sounds like a porn star name, <laughs> which was great. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And yeah. It, and those of you out there, if you haven't listened to that episode yet of the Derek Diamond experience, go listen to it right now, especially if you're a wrestling fan. Like It was a great episode. Yeah, it's the audio version is on, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, really anywhere you can get podcasts. If you want to watch the video version, because I did video as well. That's on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash ddiamondpodcast. And that was really kind of the highlight of what was a very long weekend for me. So I mentioned on Thursday, I had to work Studio Amped, which is the indoor concert series that I've mentioned over the last couple of weeks. That ended around 8.30. I went from there straight to Dothan. So that put me there at around 11 checked in Friday did the Jim Ross interview went back to the hotel room for a bit edited the interview put it online then went out and you know grabbed some dinner 
Saturday, I went to the convention for about probably an hour, hour and a half or so. Fanaticon's not, it's not like a Pensacon level size of convention. Think yeah. about the size of when we went to Gulf Coast Fan Fest. Yeah. So not too big, not too small. Yeah. It, it was it was a good convention. I, I I very much enjoyed myself. So then I had to drive back to Pensacola to work a football game. Then I left after the fourth quarter started, went back to Dothan. So that put me back at around 1130. Then had to wake up, pack everything, check out, go back to the convention, did a couple of more interviews, just kind of walked around for a bit. And I left probably around one-ish or so, and then had to be back in town for um, league meetings for uh, Blue Wahoos baseball, which wow. I've been doing since Sunday evening. <laughs> Sound like you had so a I, weekend. Yeah, it's I spent a lot of time in my car. And I, I will say this, I'm sure everyone has felt this at one point. The drive back home is much it goes by much slower than the drive to the destination of where yeah, you're originally going. Always. Because I was getting really because getting to Dothan, you have to drive down a bunch of like state roads and like back roads and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then you get on the interstate. So it's going through those and especially when I was driving to Dothan, when I was driving through those, you know, small roads at night, they weren't very well lit. Mm. So that was a lot of fun to do. <laughs> but overall, you know, it was it was a really good weekend. I just the Jim Ross interview alone made all the driving worth it because I posted this on Facebook when I started my podcast back in 2014. I made a list of 10 names that I would want to interview. And he was one of them. That's awesome. He was such a good interview, man. It was, it was, a oh, good he show. was, it was great. No, thank you for listening. Oh, you're welcome. And, uh, I didn't trying to think of what all I did this weekend, mostly just, uh, started playing Castlevania two again and doing, uh, <clears throat> with a walkthrough for my review next week. And, that game is so hard to get through. <laughs> uh, yeah, you. Gotta... Speaking of you mentioning review, I was supposed to review uh, Resident Evil Four tonight, but with all the traveling that I've had to do and you know working late, I just haven't had as much time to play it as I'd like. So I'll be reviewing something else instead. But in two weeks, I'll be reviewing Resident Evil Four for sure. Yeah, I think I'm gonna have a lot to say for uh, Castlevania Two next week. <laughs> that ought to be a I'm not going to bash it as bad as I did uh, Fester's Quest, but it's going to get some bashing next week. I'm always up for a good rant. You <laughs> know that. It's coming next week, then. Be prepared. Get your, I'll make popcorn. Get your rant earmuffs on. And popcorn. <laughs> yes. So let's go ahead and move into the news for tonight, shall we? Sure. Story on NintendoLife.com that NES or uh, SNES PlayStation prototype might be up for auction soon. Uh, let's see. A few years back, a pretty incredible, incredible event occurred. An SNES PlayStation prototype was discovered in the wild, owned by Terry Diebold, and discovered by his son in a box of junk that was about to be thrown out. The unit is the only known example outside of Sony's archives and dates back to the time 
when Sony and Nintendo were working together on a CD-ROM drive for the SNES. The deal fell apart in spectacular fashion, but not before Sony created prototype units of its first, quote, PlayStation system, an all-in-one unit which fused the SNES and the proposed CD-ROM together. Um, Shibuya? Is that how you pronounce that? Shibuya Productions... Cedric Biscay has revealed via Twitter that Diebold is about to sell this incredibly, incredibly rare and working SNES PlayStation unit, an event which is sure to attract considerable interest in the world of retro gaming. He's been showing off the unit at events and conventions all over the globe, but it would seem that he has finally decided that it's time to cash in on his prized possession. As for how much this extremely rare item will sell for, that's anyone's guess. We would hope that the person who does eventually buy it donates it to a museum so it can be properly preserved and seen by many rather than few. Think of how unprecedented like this would be today. Oh, I know. If Nintendo and Sony would team up and create a hybrid console. Oh, this is what created the PlayStation. Yeah, I mean, just the thought of that is is absolutely insane. Yeah. I'd love to know how much this is going to go for. I'm going to guess probably a couple of hundred thousand dollars at least. Oh, absolutely. Easy. I, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say easy. I mean, couple, at least a hundred thousand dollars minimum. Yeah. Now, I want to say we, we might have mentioned this story some time ago on the show like th this whole concept sounds very familiar yeah well we talked about it when it was actually found like we did yeah. the story when when the guy found this thing like just in his dad some kind of warehouse that his dad owned and they don't even i don't even think they know how they got it just that's crazy things like wouldn't that be awesome to, this is basically a one-of-a-kind thing out in the wild like, this is the only one that exists that's not in the Sony archives. Well, and there's a photo on the article as well where it shows off the actual, like, the actual console itself. Mm. It looks like it uses the Super Nintendo controllers, and they're playing Bomberman. You can see yeah. a TV in the background with Bomberman on it. It just, this whole thing is just really wild. Like, you know, thinking back in the day from having you know the options between the PlayStation and Nintendo and then you know Xbox came along sometime later but <clears throat> to put the two together is is pretty wild and I agree with the statement at the end of this article that I hope whoever gets it does donate it to some type of a museum so yeah. that people can actually see it like it'd be cool if they actually have games for it that they can display you know obviously in a case of course but oh yeah actually display it being used I think would be really cool. That'd be awesome to actually see this thing. Because this will never happen again. Like, you will never see Sony and Nintendo team up to do anything like this. No. No, absolutely not. This is, this is a really rare finding. And, you know, whoever gets it, you know, God bless them for having the money to be able yeah. to do it. <laughs> it must be nice to have that kind of money. I don't know, like I've made the comment before that, you know, it's not so much that I wish I had the money to be able to buy like something like this. I just want to be able to say, hey, I could buy this if I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. Mm -hmm. 
All right. Speaking of other great stories, th- this this kind of made me nerd out a little bit. This is from NintendoLife.com as well. This Super Mario Brothers fan game will fire up your Super Show nostalgia. We seem to be riding a fashionable wave of 90s nostalgia at the moment, and when you combine that with Nintendo nostalgia, which we'd argue is always in vogue, you get a wistful blast so potent that it's sure to turn your hyper-color t-shirt entirely orange or green, or whatever color your underarms went when it got a bit toasty. (laughs) Mario fan Jesus Lopez is mixing the look of the classic kids TV show, The Super Mario Brothers Super Show, and applying that unique take on Nintendo's plumber, specifically the animated parts with a 2D platformer with the help of his family. The show, which originally ran back in 1989, got several subsequent reruns and mixed animation with live-action segments for a Nintendo cash-in so memorable that we still fondly recall doing the Mario three decades on. (laughs) Now, there's a video that's attached to this that shows actual gameplay, and everything from the look of it to the music and the fact that it plays just like a classic Mario platformer is awesome and yeah. i would love to see this become an actual reality because i would play it in a heartbeat oh i'm hoping that nintendo i mean i'm sure nintendo has gotten wind of this already they should just buy this idea from them uh you know the uh, especially the char- the look of the characters and stuff i would play this i mean nintendo would be stupid to to pass this up so they'll pass official, it up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to, to make this an official Nintendo release, like on the Switch. Oh, man. That'd be awesome. It's just everybody should go and watch like the actual gameplay of it because it even had the cool little animation. It was kind of weird seeing it, but in the cartoon, whenever characters would run really fast, their legs would basically look like spinning circles like Sonic does when he runs. Mm-hmm. So seeing Mario do that was was kind of interesting. But something that's pointed out later on in this article, and I think this would be even a worst case scenario, make this an option in Mario Maker. Yeah. That would be pretty sick. Yeah, I think that would be a really good idea because I love the way this looks, like the art style and the way the characters yeah. like look exactly like the cartoon series but they're more a little more cleaned up and modern looking oh man this mm-hmm. would be so fun to play i know and just even the background you see the giant forks with the spaghettis yeah. like the spaghetti <laughs> wrapped around them so it looks like trees oh it's dripping with the the, the pasta references <laughs> it's borderline <laughs> racism <laughs> uh. Yeah, it. but it's it's still pretty cool, though. Oh, yeah, I, I love it. I would play this in a heartbeat. So come on, Nintendo, do something. Uh, like, look, we have money. I don't know about you, Derek, but I do have disposable income that I would, I'm more than willing to give Nintendo for good stuff. But they don't want it. They don't seem to want it from me. Maybe they're allergic. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe they're just, they, they just feel like they have enough money. They don't, they don't need any more. I guess. Uh, It's not good business practice, but we're not Nintendo. Yeah. (laughs) This last story, I just wanted to throw this in because this is interesting. Uh, I saw this just a little while ago. This is on NintendoEnthusiast.com. John Bernthal wants to play Little Mac from Punch-Out. Let's see. Uh, It comes from an interview with Digital Trends where... When asked what classic video game characters he would like to play, Bernthal says, what I've been playing with the kids is Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. 
Little Mac, he's really small, but that would be really cool, I think. His rise up through the ranks. Bernthal is reportedly 5'11", and he turned 43 last month. Uh, he's only a year older than me. So it's a little difficult to imagine him in the role of a small, young boxer. It's even hard to imagine his voice being a right fit for a cartoon rendition, but his enthusiasm is appreciated. Uh, Bernthal also floated the idea of being involved in a Castlevania project, saying, I really dug that game Castlevania. I'm old school. I'm probably aging myself here. That's sort of the limits of my video game knowledge. Um, let's see. Do you think it would be... Uh, do you think he would actually be pretty good as a Belmont or possibly even like Dracula in a Castlevania adaptation, like live action adaptation? I could see him possibly being a Belmont. I could see that too, being a Trevor, Trevor Belmont. Yeah, yeah I think so too. I, a Dracula, I would say no. Even though he does have that kind of like villain and anti-hero vibe to him, yeah, but that's Trevor Belmont in a in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, the, he he does he would fit that character pretty well. Now, going to the Punch Out reference that's in this article, I have an idea that I think would make it work. Yeah, I know he's five eleven, and he's forty three. Make him an aged. Little Mac. Yeah, coming back for uh, a for one last come, fight. Yeah, one last fight. That'd be cool. Dude, Just Ving, that sounds Ving like Rames something that would be the, like a fan film. Dude, you could do Ving Rames as the trainer. What what was the? Oh my name? god! <laughs> How awesome would that be? I want to be trained by Ving Rames. And dude, I was just thinking about Castlevania. Um, I don't know his name. Let me look him up real quick. Do you ever watch American Horror Story? I have not. Uh, there's this actor on there. Let me see if I can find him real quick. I'm going to look up American Horror Story on IMDb. He looks like Al Yacard. Let's see, uh, American Horror Story. Let's see if I can find him. I've seen highlights from that show, but it, it's probably something that wouldn't be my thing. Um, of course, it's probably going to take me forever. Uh, no, that's not him. Where is he at? Uh, he's a guy, he played the, um, he was in the Apocalypse season, and he played the actual um, Antichrist. Now I can't find him on here. Uh, come on, there's so many people on this show. Good Lord. How long uh, has that show been going on? Oh, God, they're in like, they're what, they're like ninth season now? Wow. Yeah, and I'm I'm not gonna be able to find him one here, but um, it's not Evan Peters. It's uh, this blind guy who played in the uh, the Apocalypse season, and God, he looks just like Alucard on the uh, the Castlevania anime series. Like he would be mm -hmm. a perfect Alucard. You could have John Bernthal as uh, Trevor Belmont. Who would make a good Dracula? Liam Neeson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if money's no object. Yeah. Dude, that's that's a good casting right there. Yeah. I'd watch that. Or even Johnny Depp. I think Johnny Depp would be age-appropriate for an older Dracula that's kind of beaten down and, like, mm -hmm. killing humanity because they killed his wife. I think once the anime 
runs its course, I'd be up for them trying a live action Castlevania. I mean, maybe with the anime success, that's what they need to really do a successful, you know, video game movie, which I, I thought Detective Pikachu was fairly successful and it was a good movie. So maybe that, along with this Castlevania anime, might be the start of an upward trend of successful video game adaptations. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. If they like Castlevania is just ripe for a good, you know, live action version. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> and they'd have to release it in October. Yeah, I just, I just want to see everything Castlevania. Like I'm such a freak for Castlevania. I love it so much. I'm not even a huge horror fan, but I, I would go watch Castlevania. Yeah, I, I'd be I'd probably watch it numerous times in the theater. You see, Nintendo, like I'm ready to give you money, so give the rights to like uh, Bloomhouse or <laughs> who else could make that movie, like a uh, Lionsgate or someone who would actually do it like a rated R version. Or Jason Robbins and Wally Phelps. Yeah, we could do that. And Derek Diamond. <laughs> yeah. We could all we we could take it on. We could do it. I, I have confidence in the three of us. We could actually do a good version of Castlevania. I think so. But let's go ahead and move into this month in video game history. Let me play the good one here. Yeah. In October of nineteen eighty. Nichibutsu releases the vertically scrolling Crazy Climber, the first video game with a climbing mechanic and an objective of climbing to the top of the level. And I will be able to talk at some time tonight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, I I'm not. I had this on Atari, didn't I? Yeah, I did. I had this on Atari 2600. I'm not familiar with this game, but. It is pretty cool that it's the first video game with a climbing mechanic because you think of so many games that have that objective. Yeah. I, I mean, think this is basically the Donkey same, Kong, same kind of engine that they used for the uh, the Spider Man uh, Atari game. There was a Spider Man game for Atari. Yes, there was. Really? Yes, it wasn't very good, but there was a, <laughs> a, a Spider Man Atari game. Oh man, I did not know that. Yeah, it says here is a precursor to the platform game genre. It was the first video game revolving around climbing, specifically climbing buildings before Nintendo's 1981 release, Donkey Kong. So it just beat Donkey Kong to the punch. Yep. Let's see. In October of 1981, Frogger is distributed in North America by Sega Gremlin. Who hasn't played Frogger? I love Frogger so much. I have it oh, on Atari 2600. Um, I still like that Seinfeld episode is still one of my favorite episodes of Seinfeld, the Frogger episode. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that one. Oh yeah. George had the high score. <laughs> he was trying to <laughs> save the machine. Oh, if you haven't seen that episode, you got to go out and watch that right now. Yeah. Frogger is one of those games. It's been released so many times on so many different consoles. Pretty much every generation of gamer knows what Frogger is. Yeah. I remember playing it for Game Boy back in the day, and it just has that very simple, straightforward, yet addictive gameplay to it. Mm -hmm. It makes it fantastic. Frogger. I love the music too. Pretty iconic. Oh, the music's great. Uh, also in October of 1981, the 21st, 
Williams Electronics releases Stargate, the sequel to Defender. Is this uh, Stargate uh, with uh, oh James Spader and uh, <laughs> <laughs> Kurt Russell? <laughs> I doubt it. No, it is not. I've never heard of this game. I want to say I've heard of Defend. Now I've heard of Defender. Yeah, I had that for tw- Atari Twenty Six Hundred too. I also had it for the Commodore Sixty Four, which was a better version of it. But uh, I never played Stargate. I didn't even. I honestly didn't even know Defender had a sequel. Well, that's the thing about those games because isn't um, Galaga technically a sequel to another game? Uh, yeah. Um, what well, was Galaga a sequel to? Galaxian, yeah, it was a sequel yeah. to Galaxian, or I could be wrong, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it's Galaxian. Let's see, somebody screaming at us right now over the headphones, you idiot! <laughs> I'm looking it up so Wally doesn't kill us. Yeah, it is. Yep, is a sequel to Galaxian. Yes, so you were correct. Yes, yes, yes. I am the trivia master. on october of 1986 sierra online expands their quest line with king's quest 3 to air as human and space quest 1 the sarian encounter yeah they were doing all the quest games around this time so many quests all the quest games i feel like every like at least once a month we have one of the sierra games come up Oh, Sierra was big in the 80s, early 90s. Interesting. Uh, let's see. October 15th of 1990, LucasArts releases The Secret of Monkey Island. Um, I loved Secret of Monkey Island back in the day. I think I was supposed to review this not too long ago because they have all the Monkey Island games on um, on Steam. And if you enjoy mm-hmm. point-and-click adventures, you're, uh, you're, you'd be well to go get... Uh, Secret of Monkey Island. Those games are really good. Now, I remember you talking about this game off and on throughout the show. It seems like it'd be fun. It'd be one that I'd be willing to try. I mean, I'm not too familiar with point-and-click adventures, but I'd give it a shot. I love a good point-and-click adventure. I still want to go back and review it. I just, it always kind of gets lost in the shuffle because it's not right there up front, you know? Yeah. On October 8th, 1992, Midway Games releases the Mortal Kombat arcade game in North America, which features bloody fatalities, digitized characters, and started a franchise of games and movies. Have you seen the new uh, Terminator uh, downloadable content for Mortal Kombat 11? Yes, I have. It looks looks awesome. (laughs) You... I love a good Mortal Kombat game. You know, it's, when you think of video gaming in the 90s, Mortal Kombat is right up there at the, okay. near the top of the list. You know, you had those who were either Street Fighter fans or Mortal Kombat fans, and I was always a Mortal Kombat fan. Yeah. I love but no, it's, the, the original too. game is, to me, is still the best. I know they're coming out with a new Mortal Kombat movie, and they're talking about it being rated R with uh, fatalities and everything, so I'm kind of excited about that. Oh, that'd be awesome. It's going to be cool. Uh, October 15th of 1992, Sega releases the controversial Night Trap video game for the Sega CD console. Uh, we talked about this a few years ago when uh, where they were 
re-releasing Night Trap for the, uh, what was it, like the 25th anniversary or something like that. And uh, um, let's see. Um, yeah, there's a, um, a documentary about Night Trap that's on YouTube. And I, I can't remember the exact name of it. I, I'm sure if you go on, on YouTube and look up Night Trap documentary, it'll be on there. And it's a really good watch for the, the documentary. And then um, I know I was supposed to review this too. And I've been wanting to get Night Trap on the Switch. Like I see it in the store all the time on the eShop. But it's like 15 bucks, and it's like it's not really a video game. So I kind of have trouble pulling the trigger on this one to get it. Like I would love to play it just to see it. Like, you know, uh, with, uh, up, you know, cleaned up with, uh, you know, an HD and all that kind of stuff. But there's not much to it. So I, I don't know. I kind of have, like I said, I have trouble pulling the trigger on buying Night Trap for the Switch. Yeah, no, I totally get that. And this, I remember you mentioning the documentary as, as well as this game. I haven't had a chance to watch the documentary yet, but maybe at some point. Yeah, it, it's a good documentary. It's not that long either. I think it's only about an hour long, if that, maybe 45 minutes. But it's a great oh, documentary bad. to watch. And to close us out on this month in video game history, on October 17th, 1994, Sonic and Knuckles is released. It allows a player to connect previous Sonic games to the cartridge, making Knuckles playable in them. Now, I've, I haven't reviewed Sonic and Knuckles yet, but I know I've talked about the concept. You basically take the top off of the cartridge. You can plug in Sonic the Hedgehog 2, play through Sonic 2 as Knuckles, or plug in Sonic 3, and you get an expanded game called Sonic 3 and Knuckles, which is... Um, widely regarded as you know the best 2d sonic game ever made oh yeah um i i actually started playing sonic and knuckles okay this is got to go away stop all right i'm turning the phone off <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that no worries um but yeah i actually started playing sonic and knuckles a little bit the last uh week or so on the, the Genesis Mini. I think that's Sonic and Knuckles I was playing. I know I played Sonic 2 for a little while. Then I played, a, isn't Sonic and Knuckles 3? Um, part 3? Yeah, there's Sonic 1, 2, and 3. Then after that was Sonic and Knuckles. Yeah. But yeah, I started playing that a little bit. And I like the Sonic games a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Those 2D games are great. 2 is still easily my favorite. But, uh, but that brings us to the end of this month in video game history. And before we go into the, uh, the review for tonight, Derek has a few shout-outs to give. Yeah, so we'd like to shout-out our Patreons, Axeblade07, Daniel Salmon, and Justin Olson. Thank you so much for your contributions. It helps out very much with the expenses of the show. And if you would like to join us on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash nerd cave retro yeah go throw us a couple of bucks a month because hey the show is free for you it's not free for us so if you give us a couple bucks a month that helps us pay the bills and if you get us back to that 50 dollar level we will do an extra episode for you guys every month so get us back to that 50 dollar level uh tell your friends your family everybody that likes uh retro video games tell them about the show help spread the word and uh get us back up to that level so we can do those extra shows for you and tonight, we're going to be talking about 
I was surprised that you picked that. Yeah, I, there was a couple of different songs I was going to use, but I don't know. That seemed the one to be the most Luigi's Mansion-ish. Yeah, the, the humming is a nice little touch as you're going through the mansion. Yeah. But segueing from that, this week I will be reviewing Luigi's Mansion, a 2001 action-adventure game developed and published by Nintendo for the GameCube. It was actually the first GameCube game in existence uh, it was a launch game for the gamecube and is the first game in the mario franchise to be released for the console i remember that alone being really crazy when the gamecube came out because it didn't launch with an actual mario or zelda game which was kind of unheard of at that time because you know with the super nintendo mario world was the pack-in game and you had Mario and Zelda pretty much available, I think, when the NES came out. I might be misspeaking on that, but I just remember it being a huge deal that there was a Mario game, but there also wasn't a Mario game because this yeah. was actually the first game to have Luigi's like name featured in the title. Well, I think this was this taught Nintendo a lesson as well that, you know, when you come out with a console, you've got to have that, you know, you got to have a heavy, heavy hitter to help sell the console. Like Luigi himself, as much as we love Luigi, he's not going to sell consoles. I think they learned their lesson with the launch of the GameCube. The funny thing is that they had a heavy hitter in Smash Brothers, but that came out a month after the GameCube's launch, yeah. which was really strange. But uh, it says here that it's the second video game in which Luigi is the main character instead of Mario. The first one being a game that I reviewed uh, several months back, Mario is Missing, uh, which this is a much better game. Um, with players controlling him as he explores a haunted mansion, searching for Mario and dealing with ghosts that lie within its rooms by capturing them through a special device supplied by Professor E. Gad. So the way this game starts out, because the earlier Mario games didn't really have that much story to them. You know you had to save you know, Princess Peach by defeating Bowser at the end of the game, but you didn't really see like character development throughout the Mario games. You just yeah. ran through the levels and you beat it. So the way this game is set up is that Luigi wins a mansion in a contest that he never enters. Mario goes ahead of him to investigate the mansion. Well, Mario never comes back. So Luigi goes to investigate himself. And of course, he finds this haunted mansion. You walk in. You can't really go anywhere because pretty much every room's locked. Ghosts try to attack you. And then this little old man named Professor E. Gad shows up with a vacuum machine or a vacuum cleaner strapped to his back and chases away the ghost. Well, they flee back to his his lab or whatever, and it's revealed that, you know, the, these ghosts were in paintings, but they somehow escaped 
and they're running loose in this mansion. So it's Luigi's job to take what is called the Poltergust 3000, which is, like I said, a glorified vacuum cleaner, and you basically suck up the ghosts. Is it called you have the, the ghost putrefactionizer. <laughs> yes, putrefactionizer. So basically, think Mario meets Ghostbusters. Yeah, in a way, which I, I think is, in theory, when I first heard about it, I was like, ah, eh, I don't know, but I'll play it. And I was actually pleasantly surprised by it. It's not a platformer. Luigi does not have the ability to jump. Your one ability to attack is to use the Poltergust 3000 to either suck or blow. <laughs> She's gone from suck insane. to blow. <laughs> like space balls. She's gone from suck to blow. But no, um, throughout the game, you get these different medallions that give the Poltergust 3000 different power-ups, which are, I think... I think they're called elemental metals, something along those lines. Well, anyway, you find a fire one, a water, and an ice one. What you do is when you walk by a um, like a like a torch or something, this little red bubble will pop out, and you suck it up into your poltergust, and it gives you the ability to shoot fireballs or stream fire out of your poltergust. Same thing with water, same thing with ice. And there are some ghosts that can only be defeated by, like if they're made out of ice, then you have to hit them with a ball of fire and then suck them up into your vacuum. Now they all have health and you have to like hit a certain combination of buttons in order to start sucking them up and they try and get away from you, but you have to basically, like if a ghost is like pulling to your right, you have to pull the control stick to your left and it sucks the health yeah. out of them. When it reaches when it reaches zero, they go into the vacuum. Have you ever played the uh, the arcade version of this game, the big sit down version of this game? I have not, but I've wanted to. Yeah, they have one here locally at the um, the Margaritaville Casino, uh, uh, not casino, but the arcade. And uh, I actually played this not too long ago. It's fun to play. In the actual arcade, it's like this huge booth that you go sit in, and you have the, you know, the the Poltergust three thousand um, actual, you know, hold it in your hands, and you got this big screen in front of you, and it's kind of like an on rails sort of shooter type thing, but you're trying to capture the ghost with the Poltergust, and it's it's really cool. That sounds great. I'll have to try that whenever I come down to visit you. Oh yeah, it's fun. So kind of going back to the objective of the game, each the game is separated into different areas. So through phase one, I believe they're called areas, but I normally just call them phases. Through phase one, you're in like the upper or basically the middle floor of the mansion. You fight what are basically like I call them the Goombas and Koopa Troopas of Luigi's Mansion, you have your underling ghosts, which only have like 10 to 20 points of health. They're not really that hard to catch. But then you find the ones that look more humanoid, and those are called portrait ghosts. Those take a little bit more um, creativity to catch. And normally you can find, like once you watch their pattern, you can find a weakness. 
And then once their heart is exposed, because every ghost in this game has a heart, once their heart is exposed, then you can actually try to suck them up. And they have anywhere between 100 to the final boss, which has 500 points of health. You do that, and you eventually get to the boss of that area. Once you beat the boss, you get a key to unlock a different section of the mansion. But once you complete an area, you have to take your poltergust back to Egad's lab, and you dump it into this machine, which turns the ghosts back into portraits. So then you do that, you go through, and, and the, some of the boss fights are really cool. Like the first boss is a, a giant baby ghost, and you fight him in a giant crib, which is a little creepy in its own way. <laughs> but there's, I think there's, you have four, I call them four and a half bosses. There's a baby ghost. Uh, the second boss's name, I can't remember, but it's this really tall, like almost slimy looking ghost. The third one is a giant boo. The fourth, or really the half one, is called Vincent Van Gore, which is an artist, and you find out he's been... He paints all the ghosts in these portraits and then brings them to life, so he's the one who's actually, like, bringing all the underling ghosts to life. Right. And then you fight the main boss of the game, King Boo. Because during the second area of the game, you accidentally release all the boos into this mansion. There's 50 of them. And you find out that the boos ended up capturing Mario and imprison him into a painting, which you find out, you find out that for sure after I think area two, because you go in this hidden well area and you look at what's essentially the final room of the game. And you see King boo staring at this portrait that has Mario in it. So then you find out what happens to him. Mm. And essentially you just go through the game and you fight all these different ghosts. And they're, the cool thing about it is that each ghost has like a unique aspect to them. Which makes it, you know, you don't have to do the exact same thing to defeat them. Like you kind of do like the end goal is the same, but to actually fight them is pretty unique. Like there's one that is a fortune teller and you have to bring her different items you know, that Mario dropped throughout the mansion. And it kind of reveals hints about what happened to him. And once you do that, she just basically lets you capture her. Hmm. Uh, there's anywhere between, let's see, there's toy soldier ghosts. There's one that's a piano player. One of my personal favorites is there's a music room with all types of different instruments. There's drums, saxophones, violins. And you have to hit the instruments to cause them to start playing. And they play by themselves. And when you hit all of them, they play the original Mario theme. Oh, that's cool. And then this ghost who's playing the piano um, appears. And she gives you a music quiz. Like, she'll, she'll play music from previous Mario games. And you have to guess what game they're from. Hmm. And once you guess them all correctly, then you can actually fight her. That's cool. So... It's it's a pretty cool thing. There's um there's a weightlifting ghost that looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> there's I can't remember his name, but there's one who's basically like a glutton and he just keeps getting fed like these massive amounts of food and your way to be able to attack him is to suck all the food off of his plate. <laughs> well, then he gets pissed off and starts shooting fireballs at you. To which the first time I played that I was like, "Holy shit." <laughs> and then 
he causes himself to run out of breath and then that's when you fight him yeah so it's it's a fun game and you also do some treasure hunting aspect to it um there's different um w- means of currency like gold coins dollar bills gems whenever you defeat portrait ghosts they drop pearls because at the end of the game however much money you've collected egad will use that to buy luigi an actual mansion if you don't find that much you get basically a shack Hmm. but if you find a lot of money then you get a mansion so it's a cool little um it's a cool little you know, extra aspect to it to make you want to collect, you know, as much money as possible. This sounds fun. Like I've never played the the GameCube version of this game. Um, I mean, I remember it when it when it first came out, and uh, you know, they really did a push for this game pretty hard when the GameCube came out. And um, I didn't buy a GameCube right away, but I never got this for GameCube and. Um, I wouldn't mind playing it. It looks fun. I mean, it looks kind of cutesy, but at the same time, it looks just like a fun game to play. Yeah, the only drawback really to it is that it's way too short. Oh, yeah? It is way too short. I've, I can beat this game in probably three to four hours. Wow. That's, that's how short it is. There's really only four areas to the game. Now, one extra added incentive that you can have to basically get as high of a ranking as possible. When you bring the portrait ghost back to EGAD's lab, depending on the effort that it takes you to catch each portrait ghost is reflected by the color of their um, picture frame. So say if you don't really take any damage while fighting a portrait ghost or they only like get away from you once, you get a gold uh, picture frame. If they break away from you multiple times and you get a silver or if you take like fairly decent damage and then if you really struggle, you get a bronze one. So trying to get the gold ones is something I always try to do. There's always during that last phase, there's always one that I get the silver on (laughs) and then I get pissed. Yeah, (laughs) it's usually and there are some that are actually pretty hard to do, like the toy soldier one, because you basically have to fight three at the same time is extremely hard because you like you can try and suck up more than one at a time but it's really difficult there's one there's a like a freezer portion of the um of the mansion that's basically the the entire room is encased in ice and the ghost again like all the ghosts have names but i can't remember any of them he's basically frozen in ice once you thaw him out you can catch him but you have these ice spikes that are falling from the ceiling that will try and hit you. So each room becomes more and more challenging as you go throughout the game. So it, it starts out fairly easy, but once you get to like area three is when the difficulty really starts to pick up. Yeah. Because also whenever you go into a room and you catch that portrait ghost, the lights come back on, which means there are no ghosts in the room. After you beat the giant boo, you go back up to the um, basically the roof of the mansion or like the balcony or whatever. As you're about to go into the next area, lightning hits the mansion and the lights go out. 
and then the ghosts just start pouring out everywhere. Like you'll have upwards of four to five chasing you at one time. But yeah, it's um, there's not too much more to say other than that, other than it was a surprisingly very fun game. Like you said, the graphics are a little childish and a little cutesy, but it adds enough of a different aspect. Like it's not, it's a Mario game, but it's not a Mario game. It takes yeah. place in the Mario universe, but it doesn't star Mario. So for me to be able to get away from the platforming aspect and do something different with Luigi, as opposed to just doing a straight up Mario ripoff, I thought was actually a really good idea. And the the gameplay with the Poltergust 3000 is actually a lot of fun. There was actually a sequel to this game released for the 3DS called Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon that was pretty fun too. And the third one comes out at the end of this month, just yeah. in time for Halloween. I was going to say that, that uh, part three drops on... Uh... On Halloween. Yeah. October 31st for the switch. So that'll be a lot of fun. I'm actually, I'm really looking forward to that game, but as far as the reception, it says commercially Luigi's mansion is the most successful GameCube launch title and the best-selling game of November, 2001. According to Nintendo, the game was a large driving force behind the GameCube's launch sales and sold more copies in its opening week than Mario 64 had managed to sell. Wow. Uh, despite meager sales in Japan at around 348,000 units in total, it became the fifth best-selling Nintendo GameCube game in the United States with sales of roughly 2.19 million. It was also one of the first player's choice titles on the console along with Super Smash Bros. Melee and Pikmin. Uh, reviewers praised the game's graphics, design, and gameplay. GameSpot stated that Luigi's Mansion features some refreshing ideas and flashes of brilliance. The gaming magazine Nintendo Power praised the game for being very enjoyable while it lasts with its clever puzzles and innovative gameplay. Let's see, Electronic Gaming Monthly gave it a 7.5 out of 10, Eurogamer 7 out of 10, uh, IGN 7, Nintendo Life 8, and Nintendo Power gave it 4 out of 5 stars. So overall, it got pretty decent praise. Like I said, the only real knock about it is that it's just a really short game. I did say the game placed 99th in official Nintendo Magazine's 100 Greatest Nintendo Games of All Time. Hey, it made the list. Yeah, not bad. Well, and this game did have reflection on later games because when Mario Sunshine came out, I believe about a year later for the GameCube, Mario used a um, somewhat of a similar device called Flood, which was like a, a water pump that was built by Professor E. Gad. I was so, actually thinking about reviewing that game here pretty soon, uh, Mario Sunshine. Oh, Mario Sunshine's fun. Yeah. It's really fun. But overall, I would give this game, I'd probably give it a solid eight. Yeah, I think the graphics for the GameCube were were good. It fits it fits its theme. The only knock is I wish there was more to it because it yeah. it feels like a glorified demo in some ways. Like there's a fair amount of you know content there, but I think if you had added maybe two more areas to the mansion that would have really put it over the top. Yeah. 
kind of and you know have uh, being able to actually play as luigi for once was pretty cool yeah <laughs> i think i'm kind of interested in the luigi's mansion 3 coming out for the switch i am too i've started to see a little bit come out about it but i'm trying not to really read anything about it yeah but it's one that i'm definitely gonna buy when it comes out because the gameplay is surprisingly addictive I think you uh you should when you come over we'll go to the uh, the big arcade here and we'll play it because it's fun to play like it was actually a set about it in here. Uh, let's see that um, uh, Nintendo released Luigi's Mansion Arcade, an arcade game based on Luigi Man- Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon, developed by Capcom and published by Sega. Game uses the same plot as Dark Moon, but goes for a first person on rails gameplay style. And it utilizes a special vacuum-based controller. Game is mostly found in Japanese arcades, although some cabinets have been localized and released at select David Buster's locations. And of course, we have one here at Margaritaville. I can't wait to play that. It's so fun, especially if it has a vacuum-based controller. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and it's like this huge screen in front of you, so it's really fun to play. <laughs> But yeah, that's my take on Luigi's Mansion. I think if you're if you have a GameCube, it should definitely be in your collection. It's a lot of fun, and it's yeah, it's a launch title. Some, so I need some good feel GameCube like it's a, it's games. A must- I, I want to start collecting for the GameCube again. I used to have a bunch of games, but I got stupid and I sold it. Let's not get same. Into that. <laughs> no, I mean I I did the same thing. You know, I thought I had Sonic Adventure for the GameCube because I had it for the longest time, but you know just couldn't find my copy so i had to go buy another one well i think i sold my gamecube and all of my gamecube games i think for an xbox 360 if i'm not mistaken like i just went and traded it in at gamestop at the time got probably like 20 bucks for it with a bunch of games to go towards an xbox 360 i don't know it was something like that i just remember selling it all at once and had about 10 games gamecube I did some stupid shit back in the day. Yeah, same. There's a lot of stuff that I wish I hadn't have gotten rid of. Yep. But that's going to bring us to the end of the show. Is there anything you wanted to tell everybody before we uh, we walk out the door here? Yeah, so this upcoming Thursday on the Derek Diamond Experience will be my uh, full recap from Fanaticon this past weekend. And then after that, we'll be going back to... Uh, the traditional format. If you want to check out that episode, it comes out this upcoming Thursday on uh, all podcasting platforms, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio. You can follow me on all forms of social media at D Diamond Podcast. And a little update on my short film, The Parker Syndrome. It was selected as a finalist in the Florence Film Awards, which I know Servi, which yeah. both Jason and I were a part of, won uh, Best Fantasy Film. I believe last month. So we'll keep our fingers crossed to see what happens with the Parker syndrome, but even worst case scenario, being a finalist is pretty awesome. That's, that's a good feeling to at least know you're in the finals. Yeah. So I'll keep everyone posted on when I find out more information, should be finding out more info on other festivals over the next week or two. Uh, And you can uh, find any information on the Parker syndrome, facebook.com slash the Parker syndrome and on Instagram at the Parker Syndrome. 
Um, let me see. Uh, I guess just go check out the uh, the Falls from Grace, my band, Falls from Grace, on uh, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, wherever good music is downloaded. <laughs> you can look up Falls from Grace, our new EP, Thelma. T-H-E-L-M-A. Thelma. And uh, that's our new EP. Go listen to it. Leave us a review. And uh, you can follow us at FFG Band on uh, Instagram and Twitter. And I think that's going to do it tonight. So, Derek, um, I'm ready to go. What do you well, say? We have we have one more comment from the chat room. Oh, okay. Uh, Turn up the bacon asks, isn't there an on-site NCR show coming soon? Uh, yes. I, I Actually, I still need to get that um, coordinated with LB at the uh, the Wayward Crack. And I want to do that sometime in uh, late um november so i will let everybody know once i get that um all the details settled so i will actually talk to lb this week about that sweet no i'm excited for that absolutely um i'm gonna go ahead and play our music here whoa that's loud let me turn that down <laughs> Woo. yeah uh, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. We are at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro and individually at jfontastic and at Derek underscore diamond. We're at Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. Uh, we're on Patreon, patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. And uh, as always, leave us a review wherever fine podcasts are sold. So Derek, please tell everyone what it's all about. Do the Mario. <laughs> hey, paisanos. Monkey. <laughs>